Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In a recent video I made about the so-called Order of Assassins, I talked about the Nizari Ismailis, the largest group of Ismaili Shiites today, but as I hinted in that video, there are also other communities of Ismailis today. The Daudi Boras in India number in at almost a million adherents today and are part of a larger branch of Ismailism known as Taibi Ismailism. And it is to this branch that we turn today to further explore the complex world, teachings, ideas, and practices of Ismailism, Shiism, and Islam more generally. This is a collaboration with the excellent historical channel Hikmah History, who is doing a series on the Fatimids, one of the most significant Shiite dynasties in history. So be sure to go check out his channel, subscribe, and watch the videos on the Fatimids because indeed, the Fatimids are a central part of this story. Here's Hikmah history himself to tell you more about it. The Fatimids were an Ismaili Shia empire that ruled vast areas from their base in Cairo, Egypt. They emerged as a result of a revolutionary movement in North Africa started by Abdullah al-Mahdi Billah, who claimed to be the rightful imam of the Ismailis and thus the successor to Prophet Muhammad. The Fatimid state quickly spread across North Africa and beyond. They founded the capital city of Cairo, from which they ruled vast areas in the 10th, 11th and 12th centuries. During the height of their power, the Fatimids were a mighty empire that seriously rivaled the Abbasids in Baghdad. 
They have become known for their art, architecture, scientific advancements, and for showing a relative tolerance towards religious minorities. This great empire lasted for almost three centuries, until political instability led to a decline in influence. In the end, they were overthrown in 1171 by Salahuddin Ayyubi. If you want to know more about the Fatimids, check out the two-part documentary that I did on them on my channel, Hikmah History. I have already given the basic history and origins of the Ismaili Shiites, but in brief, the Ismailis are the second largest branch of Shia Islam. And with the Fatimids, the Ismailis came to have great political power. The caliphs or leaders of this empire were also the religious leaders or imams of the Ismaili Shiites and served the double function of caliph imams. The position of the imam is central to the Shiites, being the representative heir to the Prophet Muhammad and the absolute authority in all religious matters. And this is where the different groups of Shiites differ. They disagree on which line of imams is the correct one, and there have been several schisms in history where people have disagreed on who the rightful successor to a certain imam is. One such schism was between the largest Twelver Shiites and the Ismailis back in the 8th century. Another was after the death of the Fatimid Caliph Imam al-Mustansir in 1094. Some supported his oldest son, Nizar, and therefore became known as the Nizari Ismailis. This is the group that established the Order of Assassins in Persia and Syria, and is today the largest group of Ismailis, being led by their 49th Imam, Shah Karim al-Husseini, or the Aga Khan IV. Another group, however, thought that the successor to al-Mustansir was in fact his other son, al-Musta'ili, who actually became the next caliph, while Nizar was killed. And this is where things get even more complicated. The supporters of al-Musta'ili were further divided very shortly afterwards when his successor, al-Amr bi-Akhamullah, was assassinated by the Nizaris in 1130. Al-Amr was succeeded on the Fatimid throne by his cousin Al-Hafiz, something that was greatly contested by a lot of Ismailis. Some supported Al-Hafiz as the new imam and became known as the Hafizi Ismailis. This group continued to support the remaining three caliph imams until the Fatimid empire was deposed by Saladin. And shortly after this, although there have been some minor groups of Hafizis surviving, they basically disappeared. So to make things easier, you don't really have to think anymore about the Hafizi Ismailis. They serve an important part of the story, but they are not what we will talk about today. Instead, there was another group who rejected Al-Hafiz as the successor to Al-Amr, and instead considered his then-infant son, At-Tayyib, to be the, well, the rightful successor. And they thus became known as the Tayyibi Ismailis, and they still today make up a significant community. 
While the largest Nizari Ismailis still have a living, known imam in the Aga Khan, the Taibis considered Al-Amr's uh, infant son, At-Tayib, to have gone into hiding, and that all subsequent imams after him have remained in hiding and unknown to the public. Instead, the Taibi community has been led by a Da'i al-Mutlaq, a chief Da'i or chief missionary, who acts as a kind of representative for the hidden imam, and guides the community. After the schism and the fall of the Fatimid Empire, the Taib Ismailis established a significant community in Yemen, which would remain the base of their activities for the following centuries. It is in Yemen that the chief Da'is lived and where the majority of the community lived as well. Being both politically and intellectually active, the Taibis in Yemen would produce literature and on Ismaili philosophy, Ismaili doctrine, and would also develop it even further. They sometimes came into conflict with the Zaidi Shiites in Yemen as well as with other groups and sometimes had very serious political ambitions. The Da'i al-Mutlaq would also send minor Da'is or missionaries to spread the Taibi Ismaili cause to other parts of the world, primarily to India where this missionary activity was actually very successful. So successful, in fact, that only a few centuries later, the uh, Taibi community in the Gujarat region of India had surpassed the community in, in Yemen in terms of numbers. These Indian Taibis started being called Boras, which probably comes from a word meaning trader, since the community consisted mostly of traders. The community in India, primarily in Gujarat, eventually became the new base of operation for the Taibis generally. They experienced periods of great persecution and oppression under some dynasties in the region, primarily by Sunni Muslims. There are some examples where the Boras were forced to practice taqiyya, in other words, of hiding their religious identity and outwardly practicing Sunnism in order to avoid persecution. On the other hand, there were also periods, like under the Mughals, for example, where the Boras were allowed a certain religious freedom and could practice openly. So, as usual, things differed from period to period. But it is with the rising prominence of the Indian Taibis that we see the next major split in the wider community in the 16th century, a split that created the basic outline of Taibi Ismailism as it stands today. In general, the Taibi Ismailis today exist in three separate branches, the Daudi Boras, the Sulemanis, and the Alawi Boras. As is so often the case in the history of Shiism, this split originates in conflicts of succession. But this time, it was not about the succession of the imam, since the imams are still hidden, according to the Taibis, but instead a conflict over who the correct Da'i al-Mutlaq was. After the universally agreed 26th Da'i, there were two different claimants to succession, Daud ibn Qutb Shah and Suleiman ibn Hassan. The former was generally supported by the community in India, and they thus became known as the Dawoodi Boras. The later was instead supported by the majority of Taibis in Yemen and became known as the Suleimanis. A few decades later, there was another subgroup created from the Dawoodi Boras, which became known as the Alawi Boras. And while there are some Daudis living in Yemen and minor Suleimani communities in India, this general division lasts until today. The Taib Ismailis in Yemen generally belong to the Suleimani branch, while those in India are mostly Daudi Boras or Alawi Boras.
The Daudi Boras are by far the largest of these groups today, with some estimates showing that there might be as many as a million adherents. This community has become a bit more visible in the last few years and are somewhat famous for their cuisine and colorful clothes. The Daudi Boras are currently led by their 53rd Da'i al-Mutlaq, Mufaddal Saifuddin, who, like all previous chief Da'is, acts as the current representative of the hidden Imam and thus holds the greatest authority. The Boras are often active participants in society. Many of its adherents are philanthropic business people and successful traders, and there is a very high rate of literacy and education within the community. The Boras, including both the Daudi Boras and the Alawi Boras, have primarily been located in India, around the Gujarat region, and in Karachi in Pakistan. And so, as a result of this, they have often adopted certain Indian um, cultural traits. For example, the Boras speak a language known as Lisan al-Dawat, which is a combination of Gujarati, Arabic, Urdu, and Persian. As mentioned earlier, other cultural characteristics include the unique dress code of the Boras. The women will often wear a beautiful dress called a rida, which is usually very colorful and decorative. Similarly, the Boras have a very strong food culture, the practice and contents of which have also become quite famous. The Alawi Boras carry many similarities, as we have seen, but are currently led by their own Da'i al-Mutlaq by the name of Hatim Zakiyuddin. And when it comes to the Sulaimanis, the branch of Taibi Ismailism that is most common in Yemen, it's hard to say anything definitive about them because so little is actually known about this community. They reside mostly in northern Yemen and have sometimes been in conflict with the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia as well as with the Zaidi Shiites within Yemen itself. The Sulaimanis, being mostly confined to Yemen, can appear quite different from the Bora communities in India because of the fact that they have lived and developed in different cultural environments. The Sulaimani speak Arabic and carry many Yemeni Arabic cultural traits in many ways, and not some of those Indian, sometimes Hindu influences that we find in the Bora communities. The Sulaimanis are currently led by their Da'i al-Mutlaq, called Abdullah ibn Muhammad. And that's the thing, aside from some minor cultural differences that we have discussed, the only main difference between these different branches is that they follow different chief dais or, or leaders. When it comes to the practices or beliefs of these communities, the Taibi Ismailis generally are pretty uniform. The Taibis see themselves as heirs to the Fatimids and their doctrines often relate back to that imperial period. Of course, the Nizari Ismailis also trace their lineage to the Fatimids, but it's perhaps even more emphasized by the Taibis. In terms of their practices, they follow a Fatimid model of jurisprudence and religious hierarchy. In terms of the Sharia, or Islamic law, they follow the Ismaili school of fiqh as laid down by Qadi al-Nu'man, an important judge serving under the early Fatimid Caliph Imams and who wrote the monumental treatise Da'aim al-Islam, which served as the standard work of Ismaili jurisprudence during the Fatimid period and for the Taibi Ismailis afterwards and up to this very day. Like other Muslims, they pray five times a day. And this is a place where I want to nuance something I said in a previous video I made about Ismailism, where I stated that Ismailis only pray three times a day. Now, this is true for the Nizari Ismailis, the largest branch of Ismailism, but it's not necessarily true for the Taibis, for example. And so um, just putting it out there, that's something that 
that's a nuance that I think is needed, and that's a, a careless mistake on my part. While the Nizaris pray in buildings known as Jamaat Khanas, the Taibi Ismailis pray in mosques, and the Boras have a building called Jamaat Khana, but that's usually reserved for more social gatherings, for eating food, for example, and is also often in connection to the mosque. But the prayer itself is performed in the mosque. An interesting feature of this community, at least in terms of the Boras in India, is that there are no pulpits or minbars in the mosque. This is because there is no communal chutbah or preaching performed on Friday prayers or for special festivals like what is common in, in Sunni Islam and in Twelver Shiism. Instead, the Taibis hold that such practices can only take place under a manifested imam, which is not the case for them today. The Taibis also do pilgrimages to Mecca and give alms or zakat, all parts of the often described pillars of Islam. A common practice, as for many other Shiites, is to visit the graves or shrines of the imams, including those of Ali and Hussein. Also like other Shiites, one of the most important events of the year is Muharram, the month when several practices and events take place in memory of the martyrdom of the grandson of the Prophet and the third Imam, Hussein. This event includes various gatherings and other activities that are meant to remember the suffering and sacrifice of Hussein and his family. And when it comes to the theological and philosophical beliefs of the Taibis, things get very interesting. They are Muslims, and so they hold the basic tenets of Islamic belief. They are monotheists, they believe in one God, they believe that Muhammad is the messenger of this God, and so on. They also thus rely on the Quran as the primary source for all things religion, as well as at least certain hadiths. Being Shiites, they also place an enormous emphasis on the Imams as successors to the Prophet Muhammad and their teachings as well as place in world history. When it comes to the doctrinal beliefs of these communities, it's rather difficult to say because most of the books and literature is hidden away in libraries that are not available to outsiders, including scholars. But we know that in the Yemenite period, before the split into the three current branches of the community, the Taibi, Da'is, and scholars produced and developed its esoteric teachings. Being Ismailis, the Taibis are indeed characterized by a great esotericism and influence from philosophical schools like Neoplatonism. They place a great emphasis on the batin, the hidden or esoteric aspects of religion and the Quran, alongside its zahir or open manifest or literal aspects. The Taibis in Yemen read, studied, and commented on works by earlier Ismaili writers, including the mysterious Ikhwan as-Safa, the Brethren of Purity, as well as Da'is like Hamid ad-Din al-Kirmani. The latter thinker, Kirmani, differed in his philosophical writings from the usual Neoplatonic model by adopting a cosmology of ten different intellects that descend from the absolute transcendent one that is God. Kirmani's writings appear to have been especially influential for the Taibis. As a result of this, we find a very unique and complex metaphysical and cosmological scheme that is sometimes very reminiscent of what is often termed Gnosticism. The second Da'i al-Mutlaq of the Taibis introduced a cosmological quote-unquote drama in heaven, as the scholar Farhad Daftari puts it. In this cosmic drama, the 
different intellects or beings in the celestial world, the spiritual world, become ranked into ten separate intellects. But the third of these intellects is unhappy with his position and wants the place of the second higher intellect, the universal soul, thus being of a higher rank and closer to the one as originator. As a result of his arrogance, this third intellect is then punished by falling down to instead occupy the tenth and lowest rank. Then, it is this intellect that acts as a creator or demiurge of the manifest universe, which is, not surprisingly, seen as an inferior world. In this inferior created world, some fallen beings are inclined towards the higher world of spirits and the so-called universal Adam, another name for the tenth intellect, while others are inclined towards evil, represented by Iblis or the devil. World history is then divided into various cycles, all of which contain different prophets as well as Ka'ims who appear at the end of each cycle in so-called minor resurrections to ascend to the place of the tenth intellect. So world history is, as I said, divided into these various cycles, and at the end of each cycle there appears a Ka'im. Ka'im is a kind of messianic figure that is awaited by uh, Muslims and, and Shiites in particular that will sort of end the current cycle and bring about the day of resurrection, in this case a minor day of resurrection, a minor day of judgment. And after this event, this Ka'im will then ascend to the place of the tenth intellect, and the previous tenth intellect will then ascend to one step above that, so he will become the ninth intellect. And this gradual ascent continues through the different cycles until the great resurrection, the Qiyamat al-Qiyamat, at the end of all time, when the tenth intellect, the one who fell down to, or was punished and fell down, will finally have ascended enough to once again reunite with and be on equal rank with the second intellect, which concludes this drama in heaven. You can tell it's a very complex metaphysical scheme. Um, they view the material world as something inferior, something uh, not necessarily negative, but certainly as something that should be neglected, and instead the focus should be on the spiritual world of the intellect. A very neoplatonic, a very, you could call it Gnostic, even that, though that's a problematic term. It has affinities with many of these different uh, intellectual and religious traditions uh, from antiquity and other periods. But many of these features, including the more complex scheme of the ten intellects and so on, differ them from the earlier Ismailis who were more pure Neoplatonists, as well as to differ them from the Nizaris, again, which is the largest group of Ismailis today. These philosophical ideas and doctrinal tendencies have, by all accounts, still remained important to the Taibis until today, even though most regular people probably don't debate and discuss the intricacies of the cosmic drama on a daily basis. But as I said, it's hard to say anything definitive about these groups uh, because their writings are not accessible to outsiders. The Boras in India are a bit more visible and accessible, but they also practice a kind of secrecy when it comes to their doctrines and their writings.
These Suleimanis in Yemen are even more isolated and we don't know much about them at all. Some estimates show that there may be around 70,000 Suleimanis living in Yemen, while, as I said, the Dawoodi Boras in India might be close to a million. But all of them, as representatives of the larger Taibi branch of Ismailism, make up a unique expression of Shiism and Islam more generally. It's always good to learn about the incredibly diverse ways that a major religion like Islam can manifest itself in, to show the complexity of religious identity and history. The Daudi and Alawi Boras and Suleimanis are branches of the Taibis, who are a branch of Ismailism, a branch of Shiism, which is yet another branch of Islam. They have a long and deep history of intellectual and political activity and are often active players in the contemporary world, especially the Boras in India. They trace their intellectual, religious lineage and heritage to the Fatimids, one of the great empires of Middle Eastern history, and serve as another example of the incredibly unique and fascinating tradition that is Ismaili Shiism. Don't forget to check out Hekma History and his series on the Fatimids to get a proper historical context for some of these subjects, and make sure to subscribe to his wonderful channel. I hope you found this rather complicated dive into the history and ideas of Taibi Ismailism at least somewhat understandable and interesting, and I will see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.